Imagine, if you will, a world where teenagers have full-time jobs and nothing makes sense. That's right! We're a Riverdale Recap Podcast! Here to talk about Chapter 90, The Night Gallery, by James DeWill and directed by Madchen Amick. That, that's right. Uh, uh, Mama Cooper! <laughs> Mama Cooper, Alice Cooper herself. Uh, is directing her second episode. Mm-hmm. If you will recall, she also directed what what uh, by chance it became the season four finale, though of course it was not planned as such. Do you think she was a little nervous the second time <laughs> around? Like, oh no, oh no. She's watching the numbers, like, mm, man, I don't, I don't want to carry that burden twice by accident. No one will ever hire me again. <laughs> We we open on this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very stormy night in Riverdale, right outside the Blossom household, with the most, as you called it, Beetlejuice ass umbrella. It is. It is it a is. Beetlejuice ass umbrella. I and, want it. And beneath that umbrella is Minerva, the the art dealer. You know her. She's alive. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> still here. Last seen escaping into a forest fire, if I recall. Um, and she has come to see Cheryl, mm-hmm. uh, because... Because uh, Cheryl called. Because I, I guess she asked real polite. Well, Cheryl was all like, used it as, I have new art to show you. Mm-hmm. But really, she wants her to, I mean, she does have art to show her, but really yes. she wants her there to like, you know, apologize and connect and Minerva's like, no, you said you got some art to show me. Let's see it. Come on. My, my favorite thing Minerva says this entire episode is, uh, quote, if you're thinking of sacrificing me to your crimson gods, don't. They're goddesses. <laughs> yeah, first of all, they're goddesses. That, that's not just me making a joke. That's what Cheryl says. <laughs> so, so, okay, ancestrally, the Blossom family. Mm-hmm. Uh, who will represent by by Nana believe in these these elder blood goddesses? Yes, very Lovecraftian, very uh, uh, cosmic. Mm-hmm. While Penelope has a brand new faith, that, Jason Christ. Uh, yes, that that is all about the uh, uh, holy power of the risen Jason. Yes, and uh, Cheryl seems to just believe in Cherylism. She she has no <laughs> faith or doctrine. Just whatever puts Cheryl in front of people, that's what she's going to preach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um so as, you know, Cheryl does, she grabs her candelabra. <laughs> This, this episode is fucking on one, all right? As lightning crashes in the background, uh, and she takes Minerva to what she calls her little night gallery. Like we said last week, this episode is named for an anthology series, and it is an anthology episode, much mm-hmm. like Tales from the Dark Side, one of my favorite Riverdale episodes. Mm-hmm. They're doing it again. They are. We are going to be taken through this anthology through the paintings Cheryl has done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we start with Archie as a minor with the most amazing abs. Not, um, not like how Archie was a minor for the first four seasons with amazing abs. This is a, a, a man in the mines kind of minor. Yes, yes. Like the painting is Archie in the mines, shirtless with a minor hat. Abs. You know that part in Zoolander? It's like that. Okay. (laughs) Cheryl is explaining uh, this this painting that it's it's the painting of a a hero Mm -hmm. who I kind of miss the rest, but probably something (laughs) about he's very troubled, trying to figure out his brain. I think that's safe to say, considering where we go with this. So so then we just whoom into the story itself that presumably Cheryl is narrating all these stories. Yes. Which is going to be very strange in the latter two stories. So um, Archie is at therapy. Mm-hmm. That is good. Uh, and he, he's talking about, you know, his nightmares and his anxiety. And his therapist is assuring them that, you know, anxiety is normal. And she's like, we can get you on some meds that will help. And he's very anti-pills. He does not want pills. So his therapist is Dr. Sherry Winters, not Shelly, Sherry. And one of her explanations to, like, 
Archie talking about how little sense his life makes is that's just your subconscious trying to make sense of the senseless. Yep. That's our job. That's our job, Dr. Winters. Thank you. Thank you for the credit. So since Archie doesn't want to try pills for his anxiety, she suggests a type of eye therapy thingy? He's going to track her moving fingers with his eyeballs so that he remains present and and focused uh, to sort of like trick the brain into being able to to talk through these traumas he's reliving without necessarily reliving them in the the post-traumatic stress sense. Is this eye thing a real thing? I I don't know. Like, the concept of, yes, something to ground you while you talk through the thing, yes. But, like, this specific, like, eye thing where she's, like, bouncing in front of you. Is that real? Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't catch what they actually, like, called it. They said some <laughs> name and some abbreviation, but I, I Do you want to go back to it? Eh, it's fine. Okay. Someone will tell us. So, so they do this, and he starts to talk... And tell the story of Bingo. Um, Misnaming him. I'm not even going to repeat the name they give Bingo. His name is Wilkin. Bingo Wilkin, damn it. Own your shit. (laughs) And he doesn't get very far before it becomes too much. And she's like, it's okay. Repetition takes the power away from the memory. So we're going to do it again. So apparently they're just going like Meisner here. Like you just keep repeating it. Yes. Yes. Yep. And imagine Amic in the director chair is really enjoying the camera like a toy. Oh yeah. This, this episode is, is filmed so great. Full of all sorts of very showy, very, very yeah. a lot of trick shots. Yes. Especially anytime we are focused on a character's perception or, or internal feeling and like this being a horror anthology, essentially. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities for that. Oh, yeah. And the first time it really shows itself is Archie gets the the dolly zoom. He gets the, the jaws shot. Yeah. But in reverse. It's pulling out from the face. Yeah. Instead of coming in. Um. So we go back home where he and Jackson and Frank are sharing some beers. And we talk, kind of catch up that, yeah, Jackson's, you know, going to the VA too. He's on some meds. They seem to be helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then they are interrupted by Cheryl, who's come to visit, wearing a dinner plate jacket. Yeah, she looks like she stepped off the set of WandaVision, honestly. This like, is not a Cheryl costume. Like, so her jacket, you know, you know the china that has, like, the blue china patterns of, like, people doing farm work? Yes. That's her jacket. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. is god-fucking-awful. It has poof sleeves. Anne of Green Gables would be so jealous. It has poof everything, and she's entirely covered, and it's not red, and none of this is Cheryl. No, I don't like it. I'm like, she has red underneath. I'm like, that's her. What is this jacket? I do not like this jacket. Um, But so she is there to inform them that she has just learned about something that everyone else in this entire town seems to have known, which is there was palladium mines under her maple grove. And she needs mighty men to come and mine. She is telling the only other people that didn't know about this. <laughs> and Archie's like, I don't have any experience with mining. And she's like, Psh, Archie, you've been. And she proceeds to name his entire resume, including Bounty Hunter at the end. And she's like, you got it, dude. You and, can do it. And the thing is, it's like eight jobs and it's not all of them. It's just the things he's done this month. Uh-huh. And you know what? She's not wrong. He can totally be a miner. Why not? Especially because Uncle Frank did run with a mine crew in Canada. Of course he fucking did. I guess that's before he was a crab fisherman. So they get the boys of the town together and are joined. Why, though? All of these boys have at least one full-time job. (laughs) So they are joined. So Jackson, Frank, and... Archie, are joined I guess, by I guess Reggie. Jackson. Jackson's the only one who has not been shown with at least one full-time job. They are joined by Reggie. Two jobs. They are joined by Fags. Two jobs. He's been a truck. He's a trucker. He bartender. works bartender. And now this. So three jobs oh, at least. Okay. All right. Well, Reggie's up to three then too. If we're counting this. Or, or yeah. Car salesman, investment broker, miner. And then Kevin. Teacher. Teacher, teacher, minor. Artistic director. Artistic director. Before they go into the mine, uh, Cheryl wants them to pray. <laughs> to who? Uh, Cheryl, I guess. And Fangs is really not too into it because he doesn't really believe in God. And Kevin's like, oh, no, it's fine. You can pray. 
The, Way too happy about it. The best thing about this is a uh, uh, good old Private Eric Jackson just rolling with Cheryl's whole deal. Like, oh, okay. yeah. this is the second yeah. time they've met, and the first time was a shitty key party. Oh yeah, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> and and he is so like when in Rome about everything in Riverdale. And let's not forget that Nana Rose is also there, <laughs> consecrating and the mine. Reggie. Gives her quite the winky wink. They're still fucking. They are so still fucking. It, it, oh my god. It wasn't just a one-off thing to, to use her. Maybe that's how it started. But it's it's like she's all that. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it is anymore. They really care about they each other. They are so hooking up all the time. <laughs> oh my god. They are the most stable relationship in Riverdale. She's all that. Ten things I hate about you. Riverdale. Strong relationships can come from manipulation. Oh my god. Who's, I, who's manipulating who, though? Nan has been around the block a few times. She's been around every block. She's 400 years old. <laughs> so after they are done praying and Reggie and Nana Rose are making moogly eyes at each other, uh, the boys, you know, go into the mine. Mm-hmm. And some time passes and they have a break. I guess they've moved the trailer from the construction lot to the mine. That's why the office is a trailer after yeah. all. Yeah. So they're hanging out in there and then they're like, hey, where's Kevin? Fangs is like, oh, Kevin wasn't hungry. So he kept on digging and they all left him alone in the mine, <laughs> which Archie's the only one that sees the problem with this. <laughs> Nobody mines alone. Let's go. He So he, he loads up. Archie, always the hero, always... Putting himself in the position to be everyone's protector. He, he rushes into the mine trying to find Kevin. And uh, from Kevin, like, picks, pickaxing, there's some sparks. And this triggers Archie's PTSD. And he sees Bingo's corpse. Mm-hmm. And he thinks there's gunfire. And he goes into a big, crazy flashback. Yeah. Um, with uh, he's, he's got one of those camera rigs around his yeah. waist that's pointed at his face. Yeah. So, like, the whole Very world horror. is rotating around his yes. face. She um, loves it. Imagine Amic cannot think of a trick she doesn't want to use. Kevin's there, and he has found palladium. He does. It's a maple miracle, says Cheryl, as they, they turn it into the boss. Yes, and she's like, now get back to work. The, the Archie plot moves lightning fast. Oh my it's, God, so fast. It's a thousand miles an hour. So then uh, Archie goes and has another uh, session with his therapist, mm-hmm. and this time he asks about the drugs. Like, what were those drugs you were telling me about? Just basic anti-anxiety meds, nothing to worry about. And, and she's all like, what happened? <laughs> I had a flashback, and now I got a crew that's counting on me. I'm like, Archie, you've always had a crew. You have, like, 12 jobs that, like, you're a chief fire department man. The epic highs and lows of <laughs> mid-20 <laughs> deep ground mining. <laughs> so so Archie does get uh, his prescription, not really a prescription, because she just gives him a, a, a bottle. I guess she's got... Uh, uh, I don't think that's how that works. She, she's got some, like, promotional some supplies. Samples. Some samples. It's Xanax. Like, the label on the bottle is the chemical name of the drug marketed as Xanax. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so back on at the, the trailer at the mine site, um, mm-hmm. Fangs is, is talking to the boys like, Hey, have you ever heard of the Mothmen? <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's just a story. And he's like, maybe. But the truck drivers who worked the mines before talked about it. Yeah, and he goes into like full uh, uh, summer camp, spooky time around the fire. Like he lights up his face with the the, the light on his helmet, which is red for it's some red. reason. That's bad. Red light is very dim. And he's all about, like, you know, they tell these stories about them being in the mines and all this stuff. And they were cannibals. So that means you have nothing to worry about. They were eating themselves. Yeah, yeah. Eventually they'll all run out if they get hungry enough. The end. So they don't prey on humans. Okay. Thank you, Fangs. You've actually set my heart at ease. <laughs> but everyone's very nor- nervous and they're like, that's enough. That's enough storytelling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they go back to the mine. And while in there, Archie, like, hears his name. Yes. And so he, like, goes down this corridor and then he sees what he thinks is Eric standing and not moving. And he's very worried. And he goes to turn him around. And it is a weird mothman. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he freaks out, realizes that he is hallucinating, and he knows just who is at fault. So he, we just smash cut to him smashing up his doctor's office, screaming at her about the, the brain poison she's giving him and accusing her of working for Hiram Lodge. And she's like, Hiram Lodge, the rum maker? I don't even know him. So again, again, no one knows him as the fucking mayor of the town. She doesn't watch Real Housewives. <laughs> Hiram Lodge has as many jobs as these boys, honestly. And no one knows who their own mayor is. <laughs> he also accuses her of like, well, are you working for the government? You know, what is it? He has stormed in on her with another patient. With another patient, yeah, who's freaked out like, what the fuck is this? What and, is going and on? And finally, this other patient who has feet on Archie stands up and is like, dude, you gotta leave. Yeah. She told you. Yeah. And so Archie does leave and he goes home and he runs into Eric and he's like, you gotta stay, stop taking those pills, man. She's messing with us. Archie, you have to remember, has never had a good experience with authority. The only good authority figure in his life has been his dad and one third of the time Weatherby. <laughs> uh, and so Eric is just like, no, I'm not going to stop this. And I think you should maybe keep taking your pills because you got a lot of baggage, dude. In Archie's mind, like the closest thing he's had to this situation is what? Like Warden Norton? And those were not good, helpful drugs. I mean, that's true. They were bad drugs. That's true. So the next day at the work site, Frank goes to Archie and is like, hey, we all talked and we think like you should take the day off. And he's like, no, it's fine. I'm off my meds. Everything's good now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, uh, uh. and he's like, yeah, so why don't you do payroll and we'll go work on the palladium? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Archie accepts this compromise, but before long, he is cooking lunch over a campfire. <laughs> With a cast iron uh, Dutch oven hanging there, just like you're on the Pioneer Trail. You just got a big fat ass nugget of palladium, something that in 1988 would be at least $300. (laughs) You can get the boy some milkshakes. So then while he's doing that, he hears shouting in the mines and he rushes in and kevin and fangs are freaking the fuck out everybody is in their own hallucination yes uh uh kevin uh i can't remember kevin specifically but it's something very much about like self-doubt and anxiety that's attacking him uh kevin is uh, or fangs is singing a song about the tommy knockers singing in his head uh, and Reggie is seen monsters. Yes, he is. Archie tell you know snaps Reggie out of it and is like, "You gotta get them out of here. Get them out of here. I'll go find the rest." While Eric is attacking Uncle Frank and believes he's... that everyone is the devil. Yes. So Archie punches him out <laughs> and says, "No, I'm not." When he is accused of being the devil. And, and Frank. <laughs> Is breathing still, so that's good. Uh, It informs Archie that it's gas, and they all need to get out of there. So they pick up the passed out Eric, and they escape. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what they find out is it is carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide uh, apparently causing uh, neurological symptoms, which is a thing it can do. In fact, a lot of like haunted house stories are explained by carbon monoxide leaks. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they go to Cheryl and inform her of all this. And she's like, wow, that's annoying. <laughs> well, her, her question before they can explain is, why for has the digging stopped? They're like, oh, the tunnels aren't safe because of carbon monoxide. That's annoying. <laughs> and she's like, well, when can you get back to it? Like, And they're like, well, we could hook up some pipes. and Yeah, you know, do it. Pump the oxygen in there. <laughs> She's like, I'll, I'll buy you a canary in the meantime. Just go, go, just go. Just go. Just fucking go. I'm broke and I want to be rich again. So uh, Archie goes back to see his therapist and he's like, hey, I'm really sorry. I found out I was suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning, which was why I was freaking the fuck out. <laughs> and he's also goes into, but like the thing is, it's like before I was just seeing bingo, but now I'm seeing everyone and we cut to this, this behind his therapist is just multiple men. There are eight dead, bloody soldiers arranged in a crowd behind uh, uh, this therapist as she's looking very concerned at these words. And then we get the titles. 
When I said well, that this plot moves fast, it moves fast. What I think, I mean, I totally get it. So she's like, Archie, I'm scared to be around you. <laughs> and like, part of me's like, I get it, lady. Yeah. But also, carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> were, were you scared before that happened? I would be scared of the guy who had carbon monoxide poisoning and decided to take it out on me screaming about conspiracies I mean, and yeah. trashing my office. Yeah. I just hope she finds him an alternative therapy. I hope she finds him an alternative therapist that like this oh, relationship yeah. Oh, yeah. is trashed. You were check back in with Cheryl and Minerva and she's like, okay, I got another one. And this one's inspired by my cousin. Who is the true monster? The ghoul she is hunting or herself? So we start, of course, with Betty. Betty is in Pops after closing time in the 24-hour diner. Tabitha's freaking the fuck out because they just <laughs> kidnapped a man. <laughs> and first, she's freaked out. Second, she feels left out because she wants to torture the guy, too. If that's what it takes, Betty, I thought we were friends now. Betty's like, no, I really think you should get out of this now. Like, just don't be involved. Leave it to me. So, so, so Tabitha's like, okay, but like, call me if you need me. <laughs> she does not get called. She is not needed. So Betty um goes to Riverdale High, where she has tied this man with chains to a chair in the shop class and turns the headlights on from the car that they're fixing up on him. His name, or at least the name on his fake driver's license, is Martin Tucker. Martin Tucker Murder Trucker. <laughs> The real Martin Tucker died 50 years ago, perhaps by a trucker. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, and she's, you know, all like, you know, I'm with the FBI. And he's like, if you're with the FBI, why am I tied up in shop class? You he's, haven't read a lot of stories about what the FBI gets up to. <laughs> this is very true. He's I mean, like, I'm a citizen of the United States. I have rights. Okay, again, you haven't read much about the FBI, I guess. Hey, it's not the Chicago Police Department. At, at least there's that. Oh my. Duh. So then she's like, you're not in the United States anymore. You're in Riverdale. That quarantine was really thorough, huh? They seceded. They seceded. <laughs> I didn't know they were on their own country. <laughs> and you needed a passport to go to New York City. That's why Sodale is so exclusive. It's, it's a whole other country? It's technically international travel. Oh my god. <laughs> they they have some back and forth, and he's like, well, who hurt you? A bitter boyfriend? Is that why you're like this? And she has a flashback to the TBK killer. Another hint that, yeah, that's just Glenn. That's Glenn in that mask. Bitter boyfriend. Yes. Ooh. Yes. That is That or we're suggesting it's Jughead, but I'm really going with Glenn. He doesn't talk enough to be Jughead. <laughs> uh, so she storms off and she goes and steals a bunch of the files from the FBI so she can have the pictures mm -hmm. to to show him of all the people. Yes. And he, you know, she, she goes through each one, naming the person. And when they disappeared. She gets to Allison, who we, we have seen. We saw her get abducted. Yeah. Top of the season. Yeah. Or post time skip, at least. Uh, he He tells her. Basically, like, where he buried her. Uh, beneath the, quote, gorgeous sycamore tree. So we cut over to a certain corner of the swamp. Betty's digging. I guess it's an objectively gorgeous sycamore tree. <laughs> when you see it, you know. Uh, and she comes back and throws maybe another wrench at his head. It was something. <laughs> and it's like, those were dog bones, asshole. <laughs> He's like, oh, yes, oh, where I buried my dog. It's like, well, Agent Cooper, you couldn't believe I would something, something. She's like, how do you know my name? He's like, well, there's a lot of scuttlebutt around the truck stop about a crazy woman <laughs> looking for her sister. It was also really obvious when you showed me the picture of Polly <laughs> that you were related to her. He did say that one looks kind of familiar. Like, yeah, because it looks like half of you. Yep. You know, she's questioning him and like, you know, why did you start doing this? And he's like, I want to see what it felt like. And it's no different than hunting with my family. All of them are just prey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this makes Betty think, huh, I got to try something else. So she visits mom for advice. And mom is a wizard at 
cross-stitch. Oh my Absolutely. god! He is doing the most realistic cross-stitch portrait of the twins. Uh-huh. I cannot explain the craft this woman has in cross-stitch. I mean, we're, we're impressed by the character of Alice Cooper doing this, but, like, somebody in the production crew is just this good at cross-stitch. Yes! Like, what the fuck? That's amazing talent. It is insane. <laughs> oh my god. There is a real person who deserves all this praise we're giving to the fictional Alice Cooper, and I just want them to, to know we love it. Oh, uh, for this like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's not seen again the whole episode. So so Betty comes in and she's like, I captured the trucker. I think he killed Polly and the others. And I think if he saw you, he might confess. And Alice is like, okay. Okay, sure. I mean, the, the theory is that in order to get through to this guy, you have to undo the process of dehumanization. He has to see Polly as a human being worthy of, of empathy and understanding. And Betty's plan is to, to, you know, flip that switch by seeing a grieving mother. And Alice is like, yeah, I'll grieve anywhere, anytime in front of anybody. I've been doing it for years. I love this shit. I love that she doesn't blink twice at anything Betty just told her. <laughs> not that she, like, kidnapped a guy. Not that it's the killer. Not None of this. She's just no. like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go get a milkshake. You want to know how weepy I get on the 6 o'clock news? You know, my fucking job? Like, I'll do it. <laughs> so Alice goes to the shop mm-hmm. and is showing this man pictures of Alice, or of, of Polly. Let me tell you about my daughter, Polly. This is the abusive nun cult I gave her away to when she needed my help. But she was also a baton twirler. (laughs) He's all like, you want to know something about your daughter when I killed her and Alice beats the fucking shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. He is trying to maintain the upper hand in all these interactions with both Coopers. You never know how seriously to take what he's saying. Uh, he, he's not going to be manipulated by anybody. He's just going to fuck with you and try try to get under your skin. And instead, Alice beats him so bad she has to ice her hand in the next scene. And so then they're, they're chatting about it and like, you know, we aren't going to get through to him. Maybe if he believed he was going to die. And Alice is like, maybe you should just kill him, Betty. Mm-hmm. As your mother, I give you permission. Yeah. Kill that monster. Direct quote, by the way. Yeah, that's going to stand up in court. Uh, your your honor, I had permission from my mother. That makes it okay. And Betty's like, hmm, you know what? I want to try one more thing How did before she- I kill him. How did Cheryl know about this one? How did Cheryl know about this one to tell her good friend and art dealer Minerva? Cheryl's been, like, hiding in confession booths <laughs> around town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Betty Betty decides, you know, one more thing before she gets to that point. Mm-hmm. So she uh, goes back to see him, and she's like, you know, I've accepted the fact that she's dead, but, like, tell me where she is. Her, and- yeah, her, her last-ditch effort is, like, honest, empathic, you know, I'm asking you for a favor person to person. Yeah. Don't work. It's not gonna work. So then she's like, well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna kill you, because I want you to suffer. And then she starts describing how she is going to carve off pieces of him, and she's gonna start with a chainsaw and start at his feet. The whole story of all the things she's gonna cut off of him. Yeah, yeah, like the foot bone will be disconnected from the ankle bone, etc. All all the way up. It's to the pain, but more orderly. Yes. He says something snarky to her about, you know, wait, Polly, was she the one that this and this and this? Betty's all like, yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't remember her. Ah, so she goes and grabs, you know. Well, she goes into the hallway Mm -hmm. and she has a moment where we find out that what she said to him is exactly what the TVK said to her. Yes, yes. He threatened the exact same dismemberment and the exact same cycle of dismemberment until her heart eventually gives out. Yes. uh, While she was stuck in the hole, begging for a quick death. So she goes to, I guess, the maintenance area and grabs a chainsaw. And she comes back ready to start this process because fuck it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're she, not holding back. She's got permission. It's okay. And when she gets there, she finds him dead. 
Yes. Uh, apparently what he did was bite off his own tongue, swallowed it, and choked. Uh, yeah, choked out while bleeding out. I don't, I don't know which one got him first, but he's dead now. Hey, Weatherby, retire. <laughs> you deserve to relax and go fishing, what, whatever it is. Just retire. So, so she goes home and Alice is like, did you do it? No, he got to it first. <laughs> and they have a whole thing back and forth. We're like, mom, do you feel better now? Yeah, I do. Do mm-hmm. you feel better? Yeah, but I don't think he's the only killer. I think there's a family of them hunting together. Yeah, she, she took that whole, like, like uh, I did hunting with my family thing very seriously. Very seriously. Maybe they are all hunting the most dangerous game. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So then uh, Cheryl shows Minerva the next picture. Which her paintings, her paintings are black velvet, sad clown paintings. That's the aesthetic. It's just not clowns. Here's what I need is I need someone out there Mm -hmm. to make copies of these. Yes. I need these as framed artwork on my wall. Absolutely. Yes. But I have no idea why an art critic is so enamored with them. They're so kitschy. They're just kitschy but, shit. But, like, I really do need them. So if someone finds oh, yeah. them out there, like, let me know. That's exactly why I need them. But, like, from a per- character perspective, Minerva should think, that's worth less than the paint you used, Cheryl. So the next one is Jughead on a throne with a crown covered in rats. But a throne that is also kind of the recliner chair that was his throne as Serpent King. Yes. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. Um, so this one, she tells him, is, is a story, uh, it's a story that we tell ourselves. Yeah, about survival and addiction, I guess. Yep. So we start with Jughead introducing himself at an AA meeting. Yes. Again, how does Cheryl know about this one? You you don't talk about what happens in meetings. It's kind of the one big rule. Yeah, Jughead's there, you know, he's introducing himself by his full name. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's maybe it's not an AA meeting. That's like the second big rule. People just know you by first name? One of the A's is anonymous. I never thought about that part of it. <laughs> so why do all meetings then on like shows start with someone saying what their name is? Because it's first names only, so you have something to call you. No last names. Well, okay. We never talk about so it. That wa- that's why he's going by Foresight Pendleton Jones, because everyone knows him as Jughead. That's the name on the book cover. He's a New York Times bestseller. Well, he can't use Jughead. So he, <laughs> the problem is, is he never says his name is Foresight. The only time he ever has practiced saying it is saying the whole thing. So it kind of just got away from him. Okay. And he okay. just kept going. <laughs> um... But uh, he, you know, start, starts his story when he, he left Riverdale mm-hmm. and, and went and joined the, you know, Iowa Writers Workshop. By the way, uh, this meeting is being held in Riverdale High. Yeah, we find that out later. <laughs> he's back at work, kind of, after hours, but he's there. I'm so confused by this because, like, the last episode, no one had seen Jughead. Well, there's clearly been a time skip. I mean, think how many weekly meetings uh, Archie had with his therapist in his story. I suppose so. (laughs) It's very weird. And that's if he was lucky to get a once a week appointment. Uh, He's, you know, like, it was freshman year. It was pretty boring. He talks about, like, his daily routine of, like, studying up on, like, his inspirations. And then at dusk... He'd switch from coffee to booze, and and then he'd set off writing. Still writing on the typewriter that Betty got him as a gift back in season one. Yes. Adorable. Uh, and so then his book he sent off to publishers, and he heard back from one, Sam Pansky. Sam Pansky, my man! The old school legend, Sam Pansky. Goku! He goes, he meets with Sam, he... he hands him a bottle of booze and he's like what's this for and he's like can't an agent give his client a gift like probably not (laughs) that seems not very professional but this is how uh jughead is told you have an agent through through this like ah you you get the implication ah of course you do you're a smart literary boy uh and so then we we get a little scene of Jughead calling Betty and telling her the exciting news and she's very happy for him. So Mm -hmm. it seems like they did stay friendly and connected for a little while. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so uh, Betty is in her dorm room, uh, uh, lying pantsless next to a sleeping man in a redressed... Not, not this one. No? Okay. This is when she's in her hallway because her roommate has a visitor over. Yes, yes, so yes. So she's letting them have some private time. Yes. Like you do in college. Mm-hmm. Sexiled. Sexiled. The sex way. No, that would be if you're having the sex in the hallway, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the sex way is under construction. You're going to want to take the bypass. The bypass is oral. <laughs> so uh, she's you know, very happy for him. She's like, oh, man, I hope your Iowa friends are taking you out. And he's like, oh, yeah, later. But we really know is Jughead doesn't have any friends in Iowa. Nope, zero nope. friends. So he decides that night to move to New York. Yes. And, you know, he gets his new apartment and he gets writer's block. And then he has his girlfriend who gets him maple mushrooms like she does. Yes. Uh, and and this is another point where Dynamic wants to play with the camera like a toy. We yep. get colored lighting. We get double exposure. That's how she shows his maple trip. Yep. And so he, you know, that night writes 200 pages, and that's what became The Outcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple chapters, at least. Yeah. Or, well, 200 no, pages. Yeah, that's the whole, that's a whole dang book, isn't it? Yeah, well, especially because when he takes it to his agent, he's like, this is going to be the next young adult hit. Young adult is where all the money is, cha-ching, baby! And Jughead pauses for a moment, thinking, wait, I thought this was serious literary fiction. Why? That's fine! We're Hell yeah! Money! money. Let's be honest, most adults read that stuff. It's fine. That's why it's where the money is, because all the old adults read it too. Everyone reads it. <laughs> Everyone. It's where the movie deals are, that's for sure. That's what you want. Yeah. So leading up to, to the release of his book, he, he's still drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, he's living in the past as he's like in bed with his girlfriend, but checking his phone to see if he hears from Betty. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he lets her know about the book release party and she's like, oh yeah, I won't miss it. Um, Th this is the scene where she is lying pantsless in bed with a sleeping man. Yep. And uh, the reason I want to bring this up is I'm fairly certain that this is a redress of the, the Stonewall dorm room set. Probably. Because that's the same window. Yeah. Yes. So he was like, but it wasn't It wasn't a great night, the book release <laughs> night. Which we know. Because, <laughs> you know, explains. He gets that call from Betty that she couldn't make it. And then he got really drunk and he left her a very, very bad, awful, toxic message. Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. we hear in the entirety of him stumbling around in an alley. With all these swimmy lenses, of course. Uh, and then he's like, and then... Uh, I vanished, swallowed up by the dark. And we go to a commercial break, and we come back. And the AA guy's like, that's a metaphor, right? <laughs> nope. Nope. Because he was eaten by a sinkhole. Yeah, so what he tells them is like, the next morning, I woke up in the hospital, and my girlfriend was there. And what I find out is I went on a bender. And I woke up in the hospital... Didn't know what happened, but then after a few days, Archie called, and I came here to Riverdale. Yeah, yeah. So like that's like kind of catch up on all that, and they're like this mysterious trauma that that Jughead has been chasing over, you know, practically since he came back to Riverdale was just days before he came back to Riverdale. Yes. Not not any time in the preceding seven years. Well, and I think it might have been a little more time than days, but it was very like it was like past few months. Yeah, very yeah. recent. And so... There's no reason that the seven-year time skip had to be seven years. No. <laughs> and so then Jughead continues that, you know, he, he back here in Riverdale, continue our recap is, you know, he hit rock bottom. He went back to New York to try to figure out what happened when he lost days. And so he went to the hospital and that's when he found out that when he was there for treatment before he was treated for rabies. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I've never been to an uh, addiction support group meeting of any kind. I don't really know how they're supposed to go, but I do know that this one has become a spoken word open mic. <laughs> and I don't think that's what's supposed to happen. I just love that they're all sitting there very supportive, but are probably like, what the fuck? Oh, so, so you're a young adult novelist. I see. I couldn't possibly have guessed. Oh my God, when is he going to shut up? When is he going to shut up? And so then Jughead continues.
confused that the hospital told him that when he came, when he got there, he was out of his mind yelling about a rat king. (laughs) And they're like, a rat king? And he's like, yeah, a man that lived under the streets of New York City. So What? So like I mentioned, yeah, he he, uh, dropped his phone, abandoned, after he hung up with Betty. He's never going to see that phone again because he was swallowed by a sinkhole. That's, yes. So then we finally get to it where he's like, okay, so here's what happened. Never made it to the party. Fell down a sinkhole that opened up in the pavement. It's rare, but it happens. This is actually true. Oh, it's totally true. In between this episode coming, uh, in in between, you know, this episode being filmed and now, there was a huge uh, sinkhole in the Upper East Side. New York gets sinkholes. Oh, when I was in college, there was a sinkhole that appeared on the street outside my window. Yeah, but you weren't in New York. I really want to fact check the specific geography of this sinkhole. (laughs) But like sinkholes happen fucking everywhere. (laughs) So Jughead fell into Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, uh, specifically the BBC production. Uh, Jughead's like, yeah, so I was down there in the sinkhole and I was like, you know, I could stay here. So I pushed some crates together and tried to sleep. And that's when he showed up. The Rat King. And we see... The Rat King, which is actually Sam. It's it's Goku. It's Rolf from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. With, with like a giant like GFS tin can crown and glowy red lights. Goggles. Eyes. And he just wearing rags, regally, regal rags. And he's like, I am king of the underworld. <laughs> this, this is a Rat King, not in the fashion of a, a bundle of rats who's... Uh, tales have been fused together but like the guy from that episode of batman the animated series who who enslaved all the children and also amnesiac bruce wayne that one time that kind of rat king and so he's all like you know going to attack jughead with his sword and jughead's like wait i'm a writer i could tell you a story don't kill me uh, so the Rat King will accept the bargain of Scheherazade and listen to these tales. And Jughead's like, you know, I had a copy of The Outcast with with me. So I read it and the Rat King just ate it up. He fucking did. He's giddy. He's bouncing and clapping. He, he's he's a festive little imp, this Rat King. And, and he's like, I want you to stay. I will be back tomorrow for more stories. Rat Kings love YA. It's so hot right it's now. It's so hot right now and so he was like yes that sounds great i was very eager to join the rat king's domain (laughs) (laughs) show this show gives me little presents sometimes because i would be head over heels for the scene regardless but the fact that it's good old sam the literary agent pulling double duty my favorite minor character it's so much they're listening, dear. They're listening to us. I know it. Cole Sprouse didn't want to sing for years, but we had no problem with this. This, he was like, fuck yeah, let's go. It's been five seasons. His will has been eroded. <laughs> He's a broken man. There's no resistance left in the boy. Eventually, they're going to have to replace him with Dylan because he's going to lose the will to breathe. <laughs> so so after, you know, he he... Shares his excitement about the Rat King's domain. <laughs> and who wouldn't? You know, Rat King is living life to the fullest. He decides to go to sleep in his sinkhole home. <laughs> and uh, he's like, and that's when she came to visit me, Betty. And Betty was there and she's like, you are in danger. The city floods the sewers once every two weeks and it's coming. Betty isn't just there. Betty is an angelic figure uh, uh, emerging from a beam of light. Like you just see a bare outline separating her from this flood of light and her torso. Betty doesn't have legs. She's just like reaching down from the heavens. Yes. And so he he's like, yes, she led me out. And we were like the Greek myth. Of uh, Hades Town. Uh, what are that? Orpheus and Eurydice. <laughs> yes, there we go. Just as hot as YA right now. In yes. fact, there are several YA versions of Orpheus and Eurydice. Yes. Uh, it's like somehow we made it to the light, a back alley, and I was infested with rabies. Jughead's guardian angel is a vision of Betty, but with inside knowledge of New York City sewer maintenance schedules. And Betty saved me from the darkness. 
and the rabies because I got treatment before it got too bad. <laughs> and so back at this AA meeting at Riverdale High, someone asks, how much of what you just told us was true? That's a good question. <laughs> And as we see all this, we are, we see a whole lot of graffiti of and rats. of rats and beware mm-hmm. and turn around because the rat king. Um, so he gets down to what was his <laughs> hovel that seems remarkably intact for all the flooding. That I'm, has happened multiple times because let's remember how long he's been gone and they flooded every two weeks. Yeah. And that's only when they plan to, not necessarily when they do it because of storms. Yeah, when nature decides to flood the sewers. Everything's in good shape. <laughs> Ghost Betty was apparently worried for nothing. Yeah, yeah, his his cot, his, his makeshift bundle of rags into a cot is Still there. there. It's just, it's not a pile, it's not soggy. He finds the copy of the book, which has... Total yet mild water damage. That is the one bit of continuity to these floods. And he's like, and in the margins. Legible. Legible in the margins. The Rat King story. (laughs) And so what we find out is that apparently when he fell into the sinkhole, he lost consciousness. Mm -hmm. And when he woke up, he couldn't scream because he was covered in rats. rats. He was covered in rats. And he was worried they might crawl in his mouth. And so this was his way of dealing with it. In in his drug and booze-addled bender state of a mind, drowning in rats, he just decided to write a little short fiction where his fears of both, like, scum-sucking uh, uh, parasites and the rat race combined into making his agent a rat king, if you will follow my proposed reading of the symbolism at least. Here's my question. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. How did he leave that fucking hospital without anyone telling him that he had been (laughs) treated for fucking rabies? They didn't think to tell him until he asked very politely some months later. Isn't there, like, follow-up required for that to make sure the rabies is, like, gone? All right, I gotta look this up. What is the rabies treatment for humans? Once a rabies infection is established, there is no effective treatment. Oh, my God! Though a small number of people have survived rabies, the disease usually causes death. This is according to mayoclinic.org, by the way. Oh my god! Jughead Jones is a miracle. He's a fucking miracle. He's the fucking rat king! For that reason, if you think you've been exposed to rabies, you must get a series of shots to prevent the infection from taking hold. So perhaps what he meant is he got preventative, prophylactic treatment for rabies. And not actually had rabies, because there's no treatment if you have it. He was treated for rabies before it set in, and was almost certainly fatal. I guess this is because they saw all the rat bites on him, because there would be no other way for them to know this. Or, Jughead Jones is a fucking miracle man, and he survived rabies. Jughead, I have some questions for your brother. This is the shortcut to the Oprah Book Club. You you have a personal story like this? You are selling millions. This is what you write. You write about your crazy trip in the New York sewer system and how you survived rabies. One in a million medical miracle Jughead Jones is here with me. Just write a memoir about how you slept under the stairs and in a drive-in, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. how you got rabies, and you will have all the monies. And unlike all those other guys who write shit like that, it actually happened to you. Yeah! 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 Just the incredible line, I couldn't scream for help because I was covered in rats. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. And so then he talks about how he realized when he was, you know, there... How alone he was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a dark hole and no one missed him. Figuratively and existentially. It's like, yes, we got it, Jughead. We got it. We kind of figured what you meant by a dark hole. You're such a writer, Uh, Jughead. Let me. And he's like, so that's what I'm dealing with now. And step one is to get the drinking under control. And the freaking AA dude is like, thank you for sharing. All right, who's next? (laughs) Who would like to go? How do you fucking follow that up? 
Susan over there just likes to enjoy a tequila a little too often and it's affecting her children's progress at school. She don't have much to talk about. Sure, I got fired and divorced and I'm on probation, but I don't have a deeply metaphorical experience with, with like, the spirit of urban decay or anything. <laughs> Fuck. everyone else in that meeting they're just like i shouldn't have come tonight i i should come back on thursday maybe he won't be here i gotta go to the midvale meeting there's a fucking ringer at the riverdale meeting and i can't handle this shit uh so then we go back to cheryl and minerva mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she's like truly master for showing cheryl uh, and she's like, well, there's one more piece I want to show you. And it's one I, I I painted of us. Isn't this displayed in Cheryl's bedroom? Yes. Of course it is. Pretty sure. Um, and it is uh, her and Minerva mm-hmm. in a very, what, what was it? The the Psyche Revived by Cupid's Kiss? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cheryl is going through a, a revolutionary girl Utina phase in her art right now. Yeah. You might describe it as sapphic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly inspired by, by a lot of classical imagery uh, uh, from the title. And uh, Cheryl's very like, you, do you like it? Uh, Minerva's like, you know, the last time I was here, your Nana suggested sacrificing me to an eldritch terror. So you want to stay the night? <laughs> and guess what? She does. Smooch, they smooch. do. They smoochy do all time. the smoochy time. Yeah. And that's the episode! That's it. That's how it ends, baby. So, darling, what did you think of Chapter 90, The Night Gallery? I fucking loved it! This is it. This is... This is just... This is the Riverdale I love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just go. We just go for it. Like, part of me's mad it wasn't a real Rat King. <laughs> but I'm glad we got Rat King. Yeah, you just want the guy from Beekman's World showing up and, uh... Beekman's World? You didn't watch Beekman as a kid? Oh my god. Nope, I've seen that. I think I've blocked that from memory. <laughs> but he taught you about science. It's like if that, that blow-up rat that they use oh, for, like... <laughs> Scabby? Yeah, Scabby the rat. It's like <laughs> if you, like, made that into a person. Oh man, was Beekman's World a union production? <laughs> it must have been, right? All, like, TV shows have to be. Right? So they had their own Scabby every day. They had their own Scabby the Rat every day. (laughs) I I mentioned it earlier in the episode. This reminds me so much of Tales from the Dark Side, one of my very favorite Riverdale episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And this one just goes for it and goes for it hard in much the same way. Much like uh, uh, the more recent uh, Hiram Lodge Storytime episode, it, it is all one story, but it handles the timeline a lot better. Mm-hmm. The, the passage of time in Riverdale is so aided by cutting between your A, B, and C plots. Mm-hmm. They have to be very cognizant of that when you don't do it in, yeah. in a given week. <laughs> this one really handled that a lot better. This is a really great way to move stories along quickly mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can get to more things. I, I, I almost wonder is when they, you know, cut production because of COVID and all that and split the season, if they reassessed and rewrote a bit to kind of be like, okay, we want to move stuff along a bit longer or mm-hmm, quicker mm-hmm. so we can get to new things because it will feel like fucking forever, which is what we were talking about last time, yeah. where it's just like, oh my God, where have you been? And wait, no, it's only been like a couple episodes, but it's been five months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The biggest dangling plot I can think of is what's up with Archie's old commanding officer and his possible war crime cover-up. Oh, yeah. There's that. There's that. But everything else that has been signposted as important has had motion. Yeah. I'm giving allowances for the the uh, Tony's baby plot because it's relying on the actual biological life of Tony's actor. Yes. And I'm, I think we get her back soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Due to some clips that we've seen. Right. It just went so hard. And it, part of it is, like, what sells this so well is how much they dug into the theme. 
Yes. The theming and those camera angles and that like spooky Tales from the Crypt stuff. And the excuse to go this hard because it is Cheryl narrating a story. Yes. We have an unreliable narrator. We, we, have a pr- we have a narrator that airs on the side of going extra yeah. at all costs, yes. at all times. And that's what I love about it, too, is that it's this thing of like, okay, is this really what happened or is this Cheryl's interpretation of it? Mm-hmm. But does it matter? Right? Does it? It's right? both. And it's great. It's interesting to to think of this, like, any differences between this and your average Riverdale episode as the difference between uh, Jughead and Cheryl as storytellers, honestly. Yeah. There, there is a reading there that I think someone could, could uh, very seriously make. I also really need someone to, like, make these pictures into, like, some nice artwork Absolutely, absolutely. And if it is on black velvet, mwah, love it. Yep. So keep an eye out, people. You know, let us know on the Twitter if you find it. I'm putting. I will buy it. I'm putting up some sort of Etsy alert. Uh, I'm gonna write a script somehow to uh to find new Riverdale prints. Right. Anyway, yeah, just I do have to reiterate that all of Archie's story was the pre-credits sequence before the first ad. <laughs> so when you look at the amount of story yeah. squeezed in oh by God, like so fast the the percentage of time in this episode we spend talking about it. Just one segment. Just one segment yeah. of show. I have to, like, think about the fact that, like, Jughead's like, I am so I was so alone. And I'm like, FP, you really need to call your kid. Call your dad. Call your son. You have a sister. You guys in... need to talk again. Your sister's in college, I think? Or maybe Grad she's school. graduating high school? No, she's... It's been seven fucking years. She was a freshman at Riverdale High. Like, when she left, because she was, like, in the halls of Riverdale High. That's right, that's right. So, like, yeah. Maybe she got held back a lot. I mean, she did move to Cleveland (laughs) or whatever. Maybe she now works at Cedar Point. (gasps) Maybe she works at Cedar Point! Yes! I want to see Jelly Bean uh, checking everyone's restraints on Millennium Force and then doing a double high five. I love that double high five. On, uh, oh, man. Ops crew on Millennium Force seems they, like a cool job. They are such a different, like, energy there than every other ride. They are the people who I feel like everyone else is like, yeah, you got to drink the Kool-Aid to work on Millennium <laughs> Force. Ride, ride ops at Cedar Point always, like, a plus, you did it. But like, there there is certainly an extra oh. uh, theatrical flair on Millennium Force, it is to insane. be sure. Insane, insane. Also, the amount of rhymes prepared uh, on Steel Vengeance. Well, Steel Vengeance is insane because when we were there too, they were running on like one track or one train. This was like auctioneer speak. <laughs> this this girl was speaking so fucking fast, telling you. Constantly, not even when the train was there to do it, but like before it got there, what you were gonna do so you could do it as fast as you possibly could, and so you could get on the thing, and then they could get more people. Yeah, b- because speeding up the the turnover is the only way to increase capacity when you're running one train. I had so much anxiety that I wanted to do it right for her. <laughs> <laughs> I was so worried I was gonna mess up my seatbelt. <laughs> she had so much faith in me. And it was well placed. You did a great job, dear. So yeah, darling, you got any predictions going forward further in season five of Riverdale? So I predict that Jughead is coming back, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, has he's, come ba- back. He, he's back in Riverdale, but he is no longer going to like, he's going to be like, oh yeah, those, my whole thing with the Mothman that, you know, that I was in a bad place. None of that's fucking real. <laughs> Wrong. Gonna be some shit that goes down. Okay, all right. He's going to move away from it and then be dragged back into it. Yes. He was on the trail of something even more than he could have dreamed of. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like I like that as a as a story turn. I like that. Yeah. I think a council of concerned citizens will chase the main cast out of town for taking all of the jobs. <laughs> That's why there's there's such economic hard times in Riverdale. Seven people have all of the jobs. OSHA, or whatever the equivalent is for mining, is going to show up and shut them the fuck down. Yeah. They're going to call it Ozma. Ozma? And yeah. never explain what it stands for. Ozma is from Wicked. Well, Ozma is from was, the Frank Bomb's yeah. Oz books. Yeah, that too. But like, 
<laughs> that too. <laughs> ah, yes, the wicked prequels. <laughs> then a tornado is going to come <laughs> in the middle of um, gang wars. Ah. Well, it's black and white, and it's going to lift up some some people. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? I'm Cheryl Blossom. I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yes. Oh my. Please, please. That would be amazing. I need that to happen. Let's make like a at least a Halloween episode where that happens. Uh, I I believe that the Blossom Blood goddesses are real and that they have cursed Archie with hauntings for desecrating their land by mining it. Uh, Cheryl's prayer was just flat and non-denominational. She did not do the proper rites. To, to consecrate this uh, uh, endeavor on their sacred lands, or beneath their sacred lands. Cheryl's gonna kidnap the twins mm -hmm. to bring them to her cult. Oh, I can see Penelope doing that to really refocus it on Jason. Or as, that. As the offspring of the holy yes. Jay Jesus. Yes. Yes. Maybe it'll be the time that they actually sacrifice them. Yeah, they can fly. And then they will They'll float again. They'll just fly away. They're, we're they're finally going to circle back to them floating again. She's going to bring out the ceremonial blade and they'll just be like, fuck this, we're out. Superman! <laughs> um, Alice is going to become a world-known cross-stitcher <laughs> and leave Riverdale behind forever as she goes on a tour of the world to show off her work. She's going to win the state fair, and from there, the world. Yes. Best of show. I think Alice paid off Trash Bag Killer to torture Betty so she'd come back to Riverdale. Oh, fuck yeah. And help with the twins. Yep. She knows who TBK is. Glenn! Yeah. What, Betty? It's not hard. Okay, so let's talk about what we know is coming. Next week is Chapter 91, Return of the Pussycats. And guess what? We're going to have the Pussycats. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of movies they could be referencing here. Let's just say Return of the Jedi for fun. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> but yeah, it is very much the return of the Pussycats. Josie and the Pussycats are back. They look very successful. They have a custom tour bus. Yes, and like a crowd following them and stuff. And they're going to help Riverdale. And I think, in addition to that being so exciting, Sweepy's not dead. Yeah. Confirmation he's not dead. He's back and he's going to smooch Josie. They're going to get it on. <laughs> All I can say is, Sweepy, where the fuck you've been? Where have you been? You were the thing holding the family together. Mm-hmm. You were the thing holding Tony and Fangs and Kevin together. Where the yeah. fuck you go? You know what a good, like, poly relationship with that needs? Someone to talk to on the outside. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Someone who, like, gets it but isn't in it. But we got the, what we know. We got the Pussycats. Yep. They're going to perform. We and get Sweet Pea. Uh, it seems like maybe Josie is like struggling a little bit with their fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she seems to like want to hide away in Riverdale, but the fans have found them. That's probably the story. It's, it's like oh, a, it's totally it. It's like a Hard Day's Night or one of those, you know, yeah. lesser Beatles movies. Which which is the first one? The bad one? I forget. Uh, I don't know what order they're in. But but yeah, that that's probably what the basic plot is going to be. I love and am also disappointed by the fact that Josie is the only person that talks in the trailer. I'm hoping Other that they... Than, doesn't Kevin say, like, I brought someone? Yes, yes. But yeah, only person. I'm kind of hoping that just as a mean joke, she's the only pussycat with lines. <laughs> Because that's so appropriate, but it's also cruel, so I hope that I'm wrong. The worst thing to do is that Josie has most of the talking, Valerie a little bit, and Melody none again. I, that would just be recreating it without doing anything with it, and that's the worst case scenario. I would love a scene where Melody, like, goes on a, like, just talks a lot, and they're like, Wow, Melody, I've never heard you talk so much. So you want them to recreate that one joke from the Josie movie, celebrating its 20th year anniversary, people. Josie and the Pussycats, put some respect. There we go. Let's bring back some of those songs, too. What do you think is more likely, the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon theme or one of the, the 2001 movie's original songs? Cartoon theme, but I want the 2001 movies. So you think the one is more likely, but your request is yes. the other. There is a shot in the trailer of them performing in the White Worm. So yeah, they're definitely going to be doing something. 
in lieu of or in addition to the wild foxes. Who knows? I don't think we're ever going to see the wild foxes again, though. Probably not. Probably not. Anyhow, that is all we have prepared for you today uh, uh, on this episode of Sex Archie. Uh, if you would like to help us out, and why wouldn't you? We're so nice. Uh, why don't you leave us a rating and review on, on Apple Podcasts? Uh, five-star reviews, because we're a five-star show, baby. You can also tell your friends. Tell your five-star friends. You got them. You know them. You love them. They're your friends. Yes. Unlike Jughead, you have friends. You can also follow us on Twitter at sex underscore Archie. Unlike Jughead, you have a Twitter. They would call it a tweeter. They call it a twatter. Twatter. <laughs> Wait, no, that's their hookup app. Never mind. <laughs> so with that, I'm Elena. I'm Grant, and from us here at Sex Archie, the Rat King's Domain. <laughs> <laughs>